I look around and my heart is filled with thanksgiving to God for building his church and for all of you. We are one small but significant expression of Christ's church around the world. And we have been given responsibility for this place, but our hearts need to be for all the church of God around the world, right? We are all in it together, building his kingdom on this great mission. And I'm very thankful that God has brought you to Clearwater Church to partner with uh, Sabrina and me in reaching Anchorage through Clearwater Church. Lord, I love these people. Amen. Ralph Waldo Emerson. He lived in the 1800s. He was a, uh, an essayist, a lecturer. He was originally a Christian minister, but he abandoned his faith in Jesus and embraced instead transcendentalism. He is known as the father of American transcendentalism, which is essentially a pantheistic worldview uh, that uh, seeks to uh, acknowledge the God in all of us and in the world around us. Uh, in his 1841 essay titled Self-Reliance, Mr. Emerson uh, claimed that he should not be responsible for the poor people he does not personally know. He writes, Do not tell me, as a good man did today, of my obligation to put all poor man in good situations. Are they my poor? I tell thee, thou foolish philanthropist, that I grudge the dollar, the dime, the cent I give to such men as do not belong to me and to whom I do not belong. Are they my poor? That's the question. Think about that. The poor people in Bangladesh, in Palestine, in Mountain View, you don't know them personally should you feel any responsibility for them. You didn't make them poor. Should you feel any kind of obligation to help alleviate their suffering? Are they my poor? I pray that by the end of this message, we would all say, yes, they are my poor because they matter to God. They're God's poor. And those of us who are called by his name, his heart should beat within us. A heart for the poor. We should care about their suffering no matter how they got there. And we should work to alleviate it. So we are... Uh, all summer, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, in this, this series, there have been a lot of great messages. And if you've missed any of them, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app. Uh, but in today's uh, text, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Christians in Corinth to raise money for the poor in Jerusalem, for people they did not no. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about caring for the poor. As I reviewed the biblical teaching this week, uh, I have to say I was personally convicted. Here is one of these biblical truths that I'm going to proclaim because it's biblical truth, but I sit with you under judgment. I am a novice in this area. Lord, help me. 
In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, God says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. This is a staggering statement. God is saying, if you give to the poor, I become indebted to you. I asked Pastor James, I said, is there anything else in Scripture you can think of where God says, if you do A, I will owe you? I can't think of anything in the Bible where God says, if you do this, I will become indebted to you, except right here. God says, when you lend to the poor, it's as if you lent to me and I consider myself indebted to you obligated to repay you. Do you not want God saying, that's right, I owe Sally. <laughs> I owe Mike. I gotta, that's right, I got to repay her for her uh, generosity to the poor. Who doesn't want God going around feeling like he's indebted to us? He chooses to. That's how important caring for the poor is to the heart of the Lord. It's so on his heart that he says, when you join with me, uh, in caring for the poor. When you do that on my behalf, in my name, I consider it uh, caring for me, and I will repay you. On the other hand, in, Pro in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, we're warned, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You want God to have his heart hardened towards you? Have a hard heart toward the poor. Ignore their cry for help. Are the poor crying for help? Yeah, they are. We can listen and respond, or we can close off our, our ear. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. I'm actually going to start in the last verse in chapter 15, uh, and then get into the first four verses of chapter 16. Now, I'm skipping chapter 15. Pastor James is going to preach it next week. It's about the resurrection of the dead, and it's going to be awesome. So we thought, we're going to end our series on the high note of the resurrection. You do not want to miss next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive... I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Ten years earlier, there had been a severe famine in Jerusalem. And apparently, the, uh, the land had not yet recovered. Plus, the Christians were most likely ostracized because it was a Jewish culture, and the Christians were considered sort of heretics, and probably had been kicked out of many of, of the families, and probably their businesses were not uh, visited as often 
patronized by uh, other Jews who were you know, putting them in prison and, and other things. And so there are par- poor all over the world, but the Christians in Jerusalem were especially uh, bad off. And so Paul made it part of his uh, ministry to raise funds for the poor Christians in Jerusalem uh, amongst the Gentile churches. And Corinth was a very wealthy city. And so many of the Christians in Corinth had, had wealth. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians, as he had the Galatians and Macedonians and others, uh, I want you to raise money that's going to get sent back to Jerusalem for the poor. So if you remember, the church was kind of a um, cared for its own. And there was a daily distribution of bread to the widows and the orphans and the very poor. And so here are Paul's instructions. And in these instructions, I see seven principles about caring for the uh, poor. First, give even to the poor you don't know. Uh, I suspect that most of the uh, Christians in Corinth did not know a single Christian in Jerusalem. They didn't know these people. And yet they're being told to set aside money every week uh, to take care of them. So, Ralph Waldo Emerson is wrong. (laughs) Uh, They are. We do have a responsibility to care for those we don't know. Secondly, give especially to the Christian poor. So, uh, this is a collection for the saints, for the Christians in uh, Jerusalem. Now, we we are to care for all the poor, uh, our fellow man, uh, those are created in the image of God. It doesn't matter whether they are uh, Christians or not. <coughs> they might be Hindus, they might be Muslims, they might be atheists. If they're poor, they matter to God and they should matter to us and we should help. But we do have a special responsibility to care for the Christian poor. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family. And just because we don't know some of our brothers and sisters, or just because they live on the other side of the world, doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, care. And so we care for all but especially for our fellow Christian. Third principle, give to the poor on a regular basis. Maybe even a weekly basis, if we're going to be uh, super literal here. Because here's what he says. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Every single week, you're co- so every week you're, you're supposed to think about the poor, and, and set aside a, a portion of what you have for the poor. And so this is something that really jumped out at me. So rather than just once a year at tax time, uh, looking and saying, oh, maybe I should give a little more, this needs to be a regular practice. And why? And two things jump out at me. One is if you're doing this every week, it means you're, it's keeping the plight of the poor foremost on your, on your mind and heart. It's... it's It's on your mind, on your heart. Rather than just you set it aside and then consider the plight of the poor once a year. And secondly, 
Uh, as with savings and everything else, if you take a little bit each week and set it aside at the end of the year, you, you end up having more than you otherwise would, right? So I think a, uh, a weekly um, giving to the poor will, will result ultimately in greater generosity. So Paul says, I don't want to arrive and then do a big fundraiser. I don't want my coming to be, you know, to be a big fundraiser. So he says specifically, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I want it to have been set aside every week. When I arrive, you can hand it to me, and, and, I'll, and then we'll take it, uh, or you hand it to those uh, that you have chosen, and then we'll take it to Jerusalem. Fourth principle of giving to the poor. As you receive more, give more. There we see, uh, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So as the Lord prospers you, you give accordingly. So 10% giving uh, might not be enough for some of us. Randy Alcorn says that 10% is uh, for many Christians, just training wheels. It gets you started. And now my dad, I, he set a great example, and as a kid, I was taught, hey, 10% of anything you make, automatically, you set it aside, give it to the Lord. Um, you, don't, you don't wait to see whether you have enough. And that was, a, that was great training. But a few years ago, I began to be convicted, convicted that 10% you know, now that I've become more, more prosperous, 10% was not enough. And now that I'm in this land of, you know, it's easy to just say 10%, you don't have to think about it. Now that I'm in the land of saying, okay, how do I give in accordance with how God has prospered? That takes more prayer <clears throat> and uh, more conviction, right? So, as the Lord prospers us, then we... Uh, we give. So the more you, the more you prosper, the more you give. God does not bless us so that we can roll around in it and just have a great life. He, when He blesses us, He does it so that we have the joy of of blessing other people and get to uh, participate even more in His great mission. And and so look. Well, let me just say this. Being rich and feeling rich are very different. Why is it that we rarely ever feel rich, right? No matter how much we make. And even people, it's just known that we tend to, you tend to make more and we tend to inflate our lifestyles. And once again, we are feeling like if I just had a little bit more. But in reality, everyone in this room is rich. Here's what David Platt says, and I think this is, this is good. He says, if we have clean water, sufficient food and clothes, a roof over our head at night, access to medicine, a mode of transportation, even if it's public, and the ability to read a book, then relative to billions of people in the world, we are incredibly wealthy. Not just we have enough, but relative to billions, we are incredibly wealthy. And that's the reality. 
that the average American, considering uh, wealth and poverty throughout history, uh, we are wealthy. And, and so I'm sure that the Apostle Paul, if he were addressing us, would say, hey, you know, God has prospered you. So now you need to wrestle with, of that prosperity, how much does he want you to give to the poor who matter greatly to him, who are crying out to him for help, and he is saying to his people, will you care for those I care about on my behalf in my name? I'm wearing this blue shirt today. Brian Whitson, one of our own, is, uh, this is his, one of his ministries, Harvest for the Hungry. And he's out on a mission trip, and so he asked uh, Pastor James and me to wear these today and to pray for him. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. Lord, <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you for Brian's heart uh, for the hungry and this, this mission which um, seeks to harvest so that hungry people can eat, Lord, but also uh, maybe even more than that, raise awareness of the poor and uh, cultivate within the people involved in the ministry a a heart for uh, the hungry. And just pray for this mission trip that it will be successful on all levels and bring Brian home safely. In your name we pray, amen. So, God wants you and he wants me to wrestle with, in our prosperity, how much does he want us to share with the poor. Fifth principle I see in this text, give to the poor through ministries that will wisely use your money. And I, here I see this in verse 3, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul was concerned that this money would be handled wisely. So he's telling the Corinthians, you select a couple of trustworthy people to take the money that you have uh, collected to Jerusalem. That way it's not embezzled, that way it doesn't get stolen, right? And, and so we can, we can give money to the poor in unwise ways, but there are great ministries out there whose, whose uh, purpose is to care for the poor, and we can give through them and be confident that the money will be wisely spent. Um, if you don't know, the Evangelical Council on Financial accountability. This is a stamp of approval you'll see uh, many Christian ministries uh, have, and that means they've been examined by the ECFA, and um, they're, you know, big thumbs up. <coughs> this means you can be confident that that ministry is going to wisely use your money. Samaritan's Purse, Com Compassion International, Reaching Indi Indians Ministries International, uh, and some and other ministries are great ministries in which uh, through which you can give to care for the poor. You can give here at Clearwater Church. We do a, n a number of things to to help the poor as well. But I I don't even though it does seem that uh, in this day they're giving through the local church. Um, that's probably because they didn't have uh, Compassion International and Samaritan's Purse, right? So uh, I don't want to limit your giving to the poor through Clearwater Church, although we, we too make good use of your, of your resources. Sixth principle of giving to the poor, I see in this text, giving to the poor is kingdom work. 
And so look at verse 58 of chapter 15. I don't think it's any coincidence that the uh, instructions about the collection for the poor in Jerusalem follows this statement. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection for the saints, right? Paul clearly has in mind uh, giving to the poor as a work of the Lord. Now when I was younger, I, I, I struggled to see this. I understood that preaching the gospel, winning people to Christ was you know, ministry, but giving to the poor, is that really Christian ministry? It absolutely is. It's part of teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So here are a few scriptures that uh, remind us that God is in the business of caring for the poor, and he calls his people to do the same. Uh, Isaiah 58, 7. <clears throat> is, or 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So the Jews, they were uh, interested in fasting. That would be a, a religious work that would please God. And, and then, but God says, you want to know the kind of religious work that I'm most interested in, that, I, that really gets my attention? Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. In James chapter 1, in the New Testament, we read 127, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then uh, one more chapter on in chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone said he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 1 John chapter 3, 16 to 19. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, giving out of our, um, out of our abundance is a, way that we, is a way that we lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Those two don't match. If the love of God is in you and you see especially a Christian brother or sister in need, in poverty, and you don't do anything about it, that do, those two things don't, don't, don't match up. Which means if you're not giving to the poor, you've got to ask a heart question. Do I have the heart of God? How can I claim to have the heart of God if the plight of the poor does not move me? Because we know from Scripture it is moving God. Little children... 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's not have the Christian faith just be something we talk about. And let me tell you, I'm up here talking. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Let's not just have it be talk. Let's have it be in deed and in truth, in action. In very particularly here, he's talking about giving of our money to care for the poor. The application is quite direct. <clears throat> so giving to the poor is kingdom work. It is the work of the Lord. And then finally, giving to the poor will be rewarded by God. It will be rewarded by God. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why isn't it in vain? Because at the resurrection, God will repay and as we saw in Proverbs, those who lend to the poor lend to God. And at the resurrection from the dead, God will ensure that you are repaid. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 10 and 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, that's sacrifice, isn't it? If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. I think that's a promise not just for the resurrection. I think we experienced that uh, blessing of the Lord even in this life. It might not be greater wealth, although I think there is a principle in Scripture that says, you know, those who um, are generous with what God gives them, well, God tends to give them more because he's like, hey, you're using the resources I'm entrusting to you in a, in a, uh, according to uh, my heart. Well, hey, you're a good steward. I'm going to give you more. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him to a banquet, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The, human, the poor you help will never be able to repay you, probably, but God will repay you. <clears throat> A reporter once uh, very honestly said to Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, if you remember, uh, gave her life in service to the extreme poor in Calcutta, India. And a reporter once said to her, Mother Teresa, I, I wouldn't do what you do for all the money in the world. To which Mother Teresa replied, neither would I. Neither would I. She's not doing it for this, for this world. She's doing it out of her love for God and her belief that she will be rewarded. That she's on mission with God 
and God will re reward her for all eternity because of it. C.S. Lewis once said, you never own anything until you give it away. Think about that. You never truly own anything until you give it away. Because until you give it away, when you die, it just turns to dust, right? If you die, everything that still you're holding on to still, it just goes the way of, of, uh, of all things. But anything you've given away in the name of Jesus Christ, you get to carry it with you as eternal treasure. You don't truly own anything until you give it away. So we're going to take uh, just a moment or two to uh, respond to, the, to this truth of God's word. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes, and here's my question I want you to grapple with. Where are the poor in my budget? Because it comes down to that. Where are the poor in my budget? Grapple with that before the Lord and commit to making the changes necessary so that a year from now, if you were hearing this sermon, the answer to that would be clear and it would be honoring to the Lord. Where are the poor in my budget?